Good morning, Compass. My name is Nick. Uh, they know me as the youth intern around here. Now, you may be thinking one of two things. First of all, some of you are thinking, I did not realize our youth intern is so cool. <laughs> You're right. You didn't realize, did you? The other half of you are thinking, what is this cotton head and ninny muggins? Yes, that's an elf reference. What is he doing on stage wearing sunglasses about to preach? Now, I'll get to your question in a second, but like every preacher, I have a proposition. I believe that every person in this room was born spiritually blind. I believe everyone in this world is born spiritually blind. Let me first say this. Every human wants to find meaning for their lives. I think we can all agree on that. We want to know that at the end of our days, we have done something that meant something to somebody. We want to know that the things that we provide to our families are valuable. We want to know that the people in our lives see us as someone who's worthy of significance, worthy of being accepted, and worthy of being trusted. Every human wants to find meaning for their lives. But every human has also experienced heartbreak because the things that we look for meaning in just let us down. People work for decades at a career, for another position, for a better office, another title, only to find out that when they get there, it just doesn't satisfy, or they just don't get there. The things that we pour our hearts into let us down. And in our spiritual blindness, we grope around in the dark looking for something to give our lives with meaning, but it just doesn't work out. Let me tell you why I'm wearing these sunglasses. Ever since I was a kid, <clears throat> I wanted to graduate from the Air Force Academy and be a pilot. As far as I can remember, that was my life goal. I dedicated myself to that. The little kid that my parents used to call a Tasmanian devil began studying, working extra hard in his classes, and joining way too many extracurriculars for his own good. I don't say this to brag because it's actually a manifestation of my own pride, but I was basically at school from 6.30 to 6.30 year-round, just working at this goal. Young little Nick knew what he wanted, and I worked hard for it. And it was a summer before my junior year, and I could smell the jet fuel and leather seats already when I got accepted into a new Air Force flight scholarship program where the Air Force was going to pay for me to get my pilot's license. Yippee! So it was the March before my, my summer, and the last thing that I had to do was go get my physical. So I signed up on this Air Force website. They gave me an address. My dad and I drove there. Happy Father's Day, Dad. My dad and I drove there, and it was a guy's house. I don't know why, but the Air Force was having me do my very official physical at a dude's house in his basement, nonetheless. So we walk downstairs, um, and you know, we do all the physical things. He has me do the duck walks, the arm circles. He did my reflex texts, and I, I kicked real hard. And then last but not least, every pilot has to have good eyes. So we went into the eye test. He had me cover one eye with a spoon and, and read off the chart left to right. He had me then go sit down at a table, and there was a device on the table. If you've taken a, like a driver's test recently, you know what this is. And you basically put your head into like these goggles and it's part of this machine. And you look into it and he had me first read off a couple road signs. And then he had me do a little depth perception test. And the last, and definitely not least, popped up on the screen an image that looks something like this. If someone could put that up for me, I don't think this is working for me. Oh wait, I got it. Uh oh, I'm sorry, I ruined it. Anyway, six images popped up on the screen that looked something like, there we go, this, thank you. And uh, the doctor asked me if you could just go on ahead and read off those six numbers that you see. And I looked at the screen. I didn't see any numbers. 
So maybe my eyes were just blurry from covering one eye with a spoon. So I took my head out of the thing, I rubbed my eyes like a cartoon character, and then I looked back in the device. And he said, all right, Nick, whenever you're ready, go ahead. Um, I still don't see anything. Maybe it was a problem with the slides or something. So my, my dad took his turn, and he looked in at the device, and he read off 1, 27, 49, 18, 76, and 12. I was flabbergasted because I didn't see a dang thing. And so the doctor, turns out, tells me, I'm colorblind. If I'm not wearing these glasses, I can hardly tell that that's a 24. I just don't see it. Maybe, I hope I didn't just drop a, a bomb on you and tell you that you're colorblind too, but if you just figured out that you're colorblind, we can have a little powwow afterwards and you can try out my glasses and we'll have a, a whole ton of fun. Now, I found out that I was colorblind. Without those glasses, I just, I can't see right. So the doctor went in his little computer in his basement desk, because we were in his basement. He typed in all my stuff, he gave me a paper, and turns out, he said, I'm allowed to fly, but never under bad weather conditions, and never at night. What was worse than that, I could never fly professionally for anyone, ever. And it's a third world problem, but I was devastated. This was my life goal. I poured hours and hours and hours into this. I worked hard. And I thought that if I couldn't achieve this goal, I wasn't someone who was worthy of being valued. I'm not someone who's worthy of being loved if I can't do this thing that I've worked so hard for. In my spiritual blindness, I thought that this thing would give me meaning, but it just let me down. And I think every one of us is born spiritually blind. We grope around in the dark looking for things to give us meaning and significance and value, but they can't and they won't. And the question every one of us is born to ask is, how in the world can we find what we're looking for? The Gospel of John attacks our question at its very heart. From his opening pages, John wants to open our eyes to a new reality. John even writes at the end of his Gospel that he wrote so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. John wants to open our eyes to see Jesus. Last week, Craig attempted to convince us that Jesus welcomes the spiritually curious people by showing us the story of Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And this week, we're going to start in the exact same place. So if you would, go ahead and open in your Bibles to John chapter 3. John 3. Now, my students um, like to get mad at me and complain whenever we're in the same week for, or in the same place for more than two weeks in a row. Isn't that right, Stefan? Uh, they, get, they like to complain at me whenever we're in the same place for more than two weeks in a row. But today, you get to sit in their shoes. We are going to start in the exact same place. And even though we read it last week, we are going to read John 3, verses 1 through 16. Again, that's John 3, 1 through 16. In John 3, we read... Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely cannot, they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, and Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised by my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. 
You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, Jesus replies, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life in him. And then John inserts this comment. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would enlighten us to see who you are through this sermon and through this text today. God, we ask this in your son's name. Amen. Nicodemus is a blind man stumbling around at night. Nicodemus can't see. Now, John is a great writer. He is an amazing writer. And he uses several key themes to show us what's going on here. Now, when we talk about these key themes, I'm, gonna, I'm not like your English teacher who said, the curtains are blue. Oh my gosh, the curtains were blue. <laughs> No, John is actually a great writer, and he uses several key themes very seriously and very intentionally to key his readers in on what's going on. So in John 3, John first mentions that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. This is very specific. Last week we talked about this, that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, probably not wanting to be seen, but more than that, John is trying to show us something. Nicodemus is in the dark. He can't see. Now, in the Gospel of John, he quotes Jesus saying several different things about night. In John chapter 9, Jesus says that night is when no work can be done. In John 11, Jesus says that when a person walks at night, they stumble. And you can probably guess, in John 13, what time it was when Judas left the Passover to betray Jesus. It's at night. Night is not a good place to be. And Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. He's in the dark, which is closely related to the theme of sight. Nicodemus couldn't see, and in John's gospel, you have to see. John communicates time and time again. You have to see Jesus if you're going to see life. Because Christ, he has seen the Father, and he reveals him to us. If you see Jesus, and if you believe in Jesus, you will see life. But if you reject Jesus, you will not see life. Because Jesus, we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You must see Jesus. And Nicodemus is in the dark. I mean, you can tell that Nicodemus knows something's up, but he doesn't know what it is. He comes to Jesus and he says, we know that you're a teacher come from God because no one could do these signs, but God is sitting right in front of him and he can't see it. Nicodemus sees the signs going all around him and it's just like the wind, Jesus says. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. Nicodemus can feel the wind, but he doesn't know that it's right in front of his face, talking to him. He can't see Jesus. And Jesus inserts an important scriptural analogy to tell us what's going on here. He says to Nicodemus, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now, in the book of Numbers, the Israelites rebelled. Shocker. After God had done so many things for them, after he'd provided manna daily for years, after he delivered them from foreign armies, the Israelites rebelled again. So God sent a plague of venomous snakes among them. 
The Israelites eventually repented from their repenting, and they came to Moses and said, please pray for us. Moses prays, and God shows him a way out. God shows Moses to put a serpent up on a pole so that whoever looks at it would be healed. You have to look at the serpent that is lifted up to be healed from the venom. In the same way, the Son of Man must be lifted up. And you have to look at him if you're going to be healed. But Nicodemus can't see. He can't see the kingdom of God. He can't look at the Son of Man because he was born blind. Nicodemus was born this way. I mean, Nicodemus, he was a leader of the Jews. He had spent decades being discipled, being taught, studying and memorizing the Torah so that he could know God and do exactly what he wants with zeal and piety. And Nicodemus couldn't see. After all his work, he was doomed because he still couldn't see. And he was born this way. And Jesus says, Nicodemus, you must be born again because no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. We talked last week that this is a reference to Ezekiel 36, God's promises of the new covenant, when God says that he will cleanse his people with clean water and he will put his Spirit in them. Nicodemus, all your work means nothing because you must be born of water and the Spirit. You have to become someone completely new. Nicodemus was born blind. And we see from Nicodemus' story that Jesus meets us where we are. He's okay with people who don't have all the answers. He loves spiritually curious people. And he's okay when you don't know where you're going. He's okay when you don't know what to do. But Jesus invites us into something deeper, and he's willing to help us get there. Now in John chapter 9, we are given a real-life picture of what Jesus means in John chapter 3. In John 9, we're told about a man born blind. And in John 3, we're told about a man born blind. It's an ironic connection. And listen, the Gospels are full of irony if you look. It's an ironic connection between John 3 and John 9. And John, again, is a great writer. He is extremely specific that these are talking about the same thing. So let's talk about some of these connections to John chapter 9 that we see. Because it's very important. Some of you may like this part. Some of you may not. But it's important. John chapter 3 starts about Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night. John chapter 9, which we referenced a few seconds ago, is the next time that we see night in the Gospel of John, when Jesus says, we must do the works of him who sent me while it is day, because night is coming when no one can work. Both chapters are about night and day, and sight and blindness. In John chapter 3, we see a man who is born blind. He can't see the kingdom of God or excuse me, in John chapter 3. In John chapter 9, we see a man who is born blind, physically blind. He can't see. He can't see Jesus. Both chapters are about how Jesus opens their eyes to see him. Again, they were both born that way. Both men were born blind. John is also very specific about how he uses this word for being born. John uses that word 18 times, eight times in chapter 3, five times in chapter 9, once to reference the dude born blind later on, and four other times in a completely different context. John is trying to open your eyes. He's grabbing you by the throat and say, pay attention, I'm trying to show you something. In John chapter 9, we are shown an ironic picture that these two are the same people. And so I'm going to retell the story of John 9, just for the sake of brevity and clarity, but you're more than welcome to follow along. But before I start, I have to give you the main idea. Jesus is the light that opens the eyes of those who look at him. I'll say it again. Jesus is the light that opens the eyes of those who look at him. 
And so in John chapter 9, we read, As Jesus went along, he saw a man, blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, Jesus makes some mud with his saliva, puts it on the blind man's eyes, and tells him to go wash in a pool called Siloam. The man who was born blind from birth went, washed, and came back seeing. The people who knew him were confused, not knowing if this was the same guy or not, so they brought him before the Pharisees in verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied. I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. The Pharisees bickered. They argued like two young siblings. And then they realized, Wait, you're still here. What do you think about him? The man said, He's a prophet. Now they still didn't believe that the guy was born blind or that his testimony was true, so they brought his parents in. They said, All right, what do you say? The parents anxiously refused to answer any questions except to say, yes, he's our son, and yeah, he was born blind, but you can ask him about Jesus. So they bring the blind man back in, in verse 24, and they say, give glory to God by telling the truth. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We don't even know where this guy comes from, but God spoke to Moses. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You didn't even know where he comes from. And he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. No one has ever heard of a man opening the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Let's pause there. And let me say it again. Jesus is the light that opens the eyes of those who look at him. And pay attention in this next part to the connection between seeing and believing. In verse 35, Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have seen him now. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Then Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Is he trying to say that we're blind? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty. But now that you say you see, your guilt remains. Jesus is the light that opens the eyes of those who look at him. Now, this man is never given a name. His formal title is just the man born blind. That's how everyone knows him. That's how his friends knew him from birth. That's how his parents referenced him. He is the man born blind. And yet, Jesus opened his eyes physically. He saw who Jesus was. And there, sitting at the feet of Jesus worshiping, he realized that he found what he was looking for. The Gospel of John is telling the story about how Jesus is asking for your faith. Through this series, both both before and after we took the break to talk about emotions, we've been talking about how the fact that this gospel is written about Jesus making a marriage-like proposal, asking for your faith. 
Jesus opens his eyes. He reaches out to him in his blindness, in his darkness, and he asks for his faith, and the man believes. Sitting at the feet of Jesus, he realizes he has found what he's looking for. I mean, look at the way the man responds throughout the story. In verse 11, the man calls Jesus the guy named Jesus. In verse 17, he calls Jesus a prophet. Then in verse 27, he says that Jesus is the one he follows as a disciple to these religious leaders who are trying to persecute Jesus. And then he says that Jesus is from God in verse 33. As Jesus has opened his eyes, he begins to see more clearly. And after he has seen Jesus, he calls him Lord. He believes and he worships. The man born blind continually grows to see Jesus more clearly as his eyes have been opened. Because Jesus is the light that opens the eyes of those who look at him. Now Nicodemus and this blind man came to Jesus in two very different ways, and yet both of them found sight. Last week we also talked about Nicodemus at the end of John's Gospel. Now when Jesus is taken down from the cross, we don't see who you would expect to see there. We don't see any of Jesus' disciples. We don't see his mother, brother, or sisters. We don't see any of his usual followers, male or female, Jew or Gentile. But what we do see is Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus taking Jesus' body, preparing him for burial, and putting him in their tomb. They sacrificed the way that their peers would see them. They sacrificed their own financial well-being. And they sacrificed taking part in the Jewish Passover festival to take care of the body of Jesus. These leaders of the Jews, this Passover was the biggest event in Jewish history, and they forfeited that to take care of the bruised, broken, and bloody body of Jesus. Nicodemus brought 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe to prepare his body for burial. At the most important moment, Nicodemus shows up because Jesus opened his eyes, and when he saw who Jesus was, that changed him completely. And both the man born blind in chapter 9 and the man born blind in chapter 3 realize when you look at Jesus, you find what you're looking for. But you have to look at him. Now, Jesus is the light of the world. He, we say that he is the light that opens the eyes of those who look at him. And you will find what you're looking for when you look into the light. Because we are born in darkness. You and I are born spiritually blind. We don't know what it is that we're looking for. And we don't know how to find it. Because we are born blind. But Jesus is the light that shines into darkness. He's the one who gives sight to the blind. And as he opens our eyes to see him, he shows us what we're looking for. But you have to look into the light. Now, when I was little, I had a tendency, just like every other little kid, to randomly jump out of my bed, sprint down the hallway, and vault myself into my parents' bed right between them. It wasn't so much because of nightmares, though, as it was because I also have something called vertigo. I'm colorblind and I have vertigo. I draw the genetic lottery for my parents. Happy Father's Day. So vertigo, basically, well, for a normal human, your ears and your eyes work together to tell your brain where you are, what you're doing, how you're moving. Both your ears, your inner ear and your eye tell your brain where you are and what momentum you have because the hairs in your inner ear sense your movement. But for people with vertigo, that doesn't exactly work properly all the time. It might happen in car sickness. It might happen on a roller coaster when you have, end up way, up way worse than the person right next to you. But for me, it happens in the middle of the night. I will wake up without notice or warning to my ears sending my brain into a violent frenzy of chaos. And I wake up in the dark, not being able to see, and it feels endlessly like my mind is just spinning. It looks like I'm spinning. I feel like I'm spinning. 
and I feel like my head won't stop. I, I don't know how to make it stop. I remember one time I was staying with my family at a, at a hotel. I think we were visiting family in California. That might be totally wrong, but we were in a hotel. Um, and I woke up to a terrible vertigo attack. And we were staying in the same room, so there was no really avoiding what happened next. But I was sitting there with my mom, and I was crying, asking her to make my head stop spinning. But she couldn't make it stop because it was all just in my ears. She, she couldn't help me. I sat there crying. I just wanted to throw up. I wanted to cry, and I wanted to go back to bed, maybe like some of you this morning. But I sat there broken. I couldn't make my head stop spinning. I remember times when I would wake up in my own bedroom with a vertigo attack, and I would try to shove my head between the bookshelf and the wall just to make my head stop going in circles, but it just wouldn't stop. The only way for me to make it stop was to find the light switch, flip it on, and stare into the light. Only as I looked into the light did, did my head begin to slow down and my eyes came back into focus and the nausea drained out of my body. Only as I looked into the light did peace come into my chaos. Only as I looked into the light did I find steadiness. You have to look into the light. We are born in darkness. We are born in utter chaos, not knowing how to find what we're looking for, and darkness is overwhelming. You have to look into the light because Jesus is the light, and he opens the eyes of those who look at him. You have to look at him. If you find the darkness in your life overwhelming, if you feel overwhelmed by sin, if you don't feel like you can take another step in the dark world that we live in, can I give you some advice? Look into the light. It is the only way you will find peace for your chaos. It is the only way that you will find true purpose and meaning and value and significance for your life. Jesus is the light. The greyhound was thrashing around in a storm in the northern Atlantic Ocean for days on end. The sailors on the boat felt like they were about to drown. They worked tirelessly at the pumps just trying to keep the ship afloat for one more day. But John Newton couldn't pump anymore. The canvas sails were torn. The entire half of the ship was shattered and broken to pieces. And it felt like everything was falling apart. As he couldn't pump anymore, his fellow sailors took him and tied him to the helm of the ship to try to keep it on course. And as he sat there, he had some time for reflection. John was a man who entered the transatlantic slave trade to try to find status, money, power, and to try to fulfill his lust because he thought it was a simple and profitable way of life. But <laughs> look where it brought him. Standing here at the helm of the ship, he felt just like the greyhound, broken, torn to pieces, doomed to drown, and not even knowing where he's going. John Newton had some time for reflection. But at the darkest moment in his life, a light shined into his darkness. And John Newton says that the Lord delivered him on high from those deep waters. And he wrote a song about it. Here's how it goes. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. If you want to find what you're looking for, Look into the light.
Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son into the world and thank you for the light of the world. God, help us to look at him. It's hard sometimes. God, please help us to know who you are. Help us to know your son and Lord, please let us see life in him. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.